Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Now, if this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Ben and I are indeed a pair of automotive journalists, and we have a lot of things to talk to you about. But before we get to that, I'd like to let Ben uh, handle the mic and plug a couple of the publications that he's recently written for. Ben, can you can you manage that? You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Automobile Magazine, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line. Handle it like a pro. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as Nouveau Magazine and EV Pulse. Ben, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to you for the first bit of this podcast because I think you have the more exciting car to talk about. Um, what, do you, what do you say? Is that well, that's, that sounds good to me because, Sammy, honestly, I'm pretty amped up right now. I'm drinking a homemade concoction that is mostly cherry juice and not the good kind of cherries, like the red kind of cherries that you get at the lower end of the grocery store shelf. So uh, a lot of sugar going, going on here. Um, good. Yeah, and I, I think it's going to give me some clarity to talk about the 2021 Genesis GV80, Sammy. Ooh, this is an important car. This is uh, Genesis's first, is that the right way to say it? Genesis's first um, crossover or SUV, and that's a really important thing for them to get into because, you know, everyone is buying SUVs these days, and if they want to compete, they want to see like, seem like a re- legitimate rival that's where they need to be. Yeah, it's it's a really important car because when they launched, I think, in 2017, they didn't have any SUVs at all. And everyone was kind of like, uh... Because at that point, people had really started to push away from sedans, especially large sedans. And uh, Genesis led the way with the G70, which is a really good BMW 3 Series competitor that we both like a lot. And it also had the G80 and the G90, which are mid and large executive sedans that are in categories where people are kind of not so interested in buying anymore. Yeah. So then, where where do we come from? What is it like when they when they deliver their first SUV? First of all, does it look like a like a product that is worthy of competing with the likes of I don't know the BMW X? Five or Mercedes GLE? Well, it's interesting what they've chosen to do with the GV80. So it shares a platform with the G80 sedan, which is also new for this year. Mm-hmm. And that means it's a rear-wheel drive platform. There's there's nothing about the GV platform that is shared with Hyundai, the corporate parent of Genesis. So this is something they have developed on their own. And uh, it, since it's bespoke, they were able to kind of do whatever they wanted dynamically. So driving the GV80, I've been really looking forward to this because... It's a uh, it's it's a great looking truck. First of all, the model mm-hmm. that I had was kind of finished in a dark metallic green. Uh, but awesome, yeah. yeah it was it's a great color for it. But there's a lot of interesting stuff about the GV80. Um, from the side, it has these. So I'm not a big fan of vehicles that have those kind of like gills that are slashed into the front fenders. Right. I, I know BMW really started that craze and, and Land Rover back in the early 2000s. Are these but, air curtains or something like that? They have a, a name that doesn't make. I don't know if I would call them air air curtains sounds like something the marketing department said. They're like, well, what can we call them? We can't just call them slashes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Unfinished body work. What do we call it? But on on the GV80, it's got, they look like razor cuts behind the front fenders and nestled in those, in those razor slices are the turn signal indicators. Right. And it looks really good. It looks You're good. You're into with, that? You like that? Really? I, I think it looks good when they're off and when they're on. I think the lights add an extra dimension to it. And it matches up front the LED running lights, which are almost yeah. identical slashes on the front of the vehicle. So it's got a distinct personality. It's got a sloping roof line without kind of verging into that whole four-door coupe thing that is kind of bogus and takes up a lot of cargo and, and passenger space inside the vehicle. Um, the rear of the vehicle, the hatch kind of comes down and meets... In the middle, uh, there's like a, an uprising from the bumper, and it's almost like a little kind of a duckbill spoiler that goes across the back of the hatch. And overall, it's 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 a, a muscular looking truck. It, it it manages to be distinctive, which I think is is hard to do for an SUV these days because so many SUVs they're kind of anonymous looking, they're bland, they fit in with the pack. And I think that the GV80 has managed to avoid all of that and really create its own visual personality. And that's really important. They do have some big talent over at Hyundai and Genesis and Kia when it comes to design. And I think they're taking advantage of that. They really, this has to be the first time you're looking at like the whole new design language, the way they do that grill and the two lights and then how that, those 
the two lines from the headlights kind of like wrap around the entirety of the car and then finish at the taillights, which are as well two lines. It's a very, you know, cohesive design on the exterior. I think you're right. It stands out when you look at it. You don't um, assume that's a, a, like anything like a Lincoln or a Buick or any uh, anything but a premium SUV, right? Yeah. And, and you know, BMW has it, – it's a – it's the fact that this is the only SUV from Genesis right now, and we know there's there's some coming down the pipe quite soon, and we'll, we're going to talk about that a little later. But when you look at BMW's lineup, for example, and, and, and they're not guilty of this exclusively. It's, it's also kind of the case for a lot of high-end SUV builders. But the X5, the X7, and the X3, they all have a similar design language right like yeah. it's not quite as bad as the sedans used to be where it was kind of one sausage three different lengths i think that the the x3 and the x5 and the x7 have differentiation yeah, but okay. there's still a commonality between them genesis yeah. doesn't have to worry about that there's only one gv80 <laughs> and it, it looks like itself you know you're not gonna right, right now you're not gonna walk into the showroom and be like uh, should I get the GV80 or the slightly smaller GV80? You know, like it's <laughs> it, it it it's helpful for it. It's it's a unique situation because it's the first one, the first time, and I think that's going to help push these out the door. Um, but the real selling point for me on this vehicle, it's not necessarily the exterior looks, which are good, but the interior itself is the best part of the vehicle. Um, mm-hmm. I drove the premium trim which is the top tier version of the GV80. And you can get it with any engine that you want. There's two engine choices. We'll talk about that in a bit. But it it brings with it so much cool stuff, Sammy. And a lot of this stuff is details. Uh, The leather seats that are inside the vehicle, they were kind of a light green that was supposed to complement the green on the outside. Again, something you don't often see from a luxury yeah. truck like it's not your typical black or brown or white you know it's like you or get red i suppose people are into red these days but yeah well, i don't know the green. last time i rode inside a or red blue. leather suv like <laughs> what have you not been a bmw recently that sounds like something or a, or a, Lexus? a serial killer would order um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah green green cat a green leather interior yeah, a green leather interior that actually That's looks awesome, it right? actually looks good. You know, cuz like sometimes uh, bright colors or any colors on the interior can be a mistake. Again, let's talk about BMW. <laughs> they have a history of offering very unusual interiors that not everybody bought, but um the fact that Genesis felt strongly enough about this color combination to put it in the media fleet, I think says a lot about their confidence in the product. Uh, but the leather itself, it's 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 diamond stitched. The seats look great. Everything feels great. All the controls that you're going to touch, it, it kind of felt to me like someone had taken the time to personalize them, to to make it seem like this didn't just roll off of an assembly line, but someone actually, you know, crafted all the stuff that you're going to touch. I know that sounds a lot like marketing, but that was the impression that the vehicle gave me. And no, you're spot on. And one of the things that uh, Genesis is now establishing themselves. Um, is that they show they show attention to detail. They and I think that's really important in this segment because luxury cars are expensive. Like truly, they're expensive. And the GV80 is not a a cheap car or affordable car um, by any measure. Even if you include all the the features and the the service that you get with the vehicle, sure, you might call it a, a good deal in comparison to other luxury cars. But a luxury car is still very expensive. Yeah, it's it's about and, sixty-five. The most expensive version of the GV80 is sixty-six thousand, I think. Mm-hmm. And it starts just under fifty, I want to say. Okay. Um, but, but when you're spending that much money, you want a car that shows to you, shows you that you spent it um, on something that takes like takes everything into consideration. Oh yeah. Like a, yeah. And I think that this car really does that. From the exterior to the interior, it's really it's smart the way they do that. And it extends throughout the entire cabin, too. It's not just sitting up front that makes you feel this way. Like, if you're at the back loading cargo, the detail in the cargo area is extraneous. Like, it does not need to be that well turned out. And I'm talking about things like where they decided to place the uh, hookups for cargo tie downs, where they put the buttons to raise and lower the rear and second row seats and the third row seats, the uh, the, the way that the... Which are powered in your in, in your trim, right? Or the, your the, the rear Seat, the third row seats are powered. The second yeah. row seats, they have like a power tumble so that they can yeah. fold forward. The third row seats, you're not going to want to ever sit back there. Um, if you're if you're below five feet, you'll be comfortable. I had someone of that size tested out and they were cool, but I personally would not want to spend time there. And you don't have to get them. I believe they're optional. So okay. you can just leave them folded and enjoy the extra cargo space, which is what I did when I was uh, driving the vehicle. I, I hauled a lot of stuff in it, hauled a big bookcase 
didn't have any problems. Unlike the RX that I had the week before, Sammy, yep. it is a fold flat, true flat uh, cargo area. So I was able to slide boxes in and out without bumping up against um, the little rise where the second row is. And that's something that I appreciate. Just It's a nice, again, attention to detail. They could have just folded it flat and said, this is flat asterisk, but they actually made it useful. Okay, while we're still talking about the cabin, um, switch gear as well is is pretty well finished or what? Do well, you, does it feel like a Hyundai? Does it feel no, like anything else? No, that's what I was saying before, earlier right? when I said like yeah. it felt like they they made it special. Like when you're touching various switches and dials and rotary stuff, it, it feels like it was made for the Genesis and not just pulled off a shelf. Uh, now, what I, about? Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna, you know, if I could just finish my point. Um, sorry, I appreciate that. That's all I was gonna say. Okay, Dude, I should not have had this cherry syrup. I don't know what I was thinking. But it's, it's just, it's like you ever close your eyes and there's just fireworks behind your eyes, mm-hmm. and then you All open the your and you open your eyes and you're on the freeway and it's like 3 a.m. and you're doing yeah. 110 miles an hour and you don't know whose car you're driving or who's sitting beside you and then you close your eyes again and you're back at the podcast. That's a usual Tuesday night for me, really. Um, cherry syrup so, all the way. So. Uh, talk to me then about the technology in the cabin and the infotainment system because it does have a fairly wide screen infotainment screen, um, and you know there's a there's also a interesting gimmick to the gauge cluster. So why don't you talk me through some of that? Well, the wide screen looks good, but I would have to say that the infotainment was the one part of the vehicle that sort of let me down, and there's a couple of reasons for that. The first is it you it's a touch screen, right? But it's as you mentioned, it is long and it is positioned away from the driver. So mm-hmm. it's not convenient to use as a touch screen. You can do it, but you have to lean forward and when you're driving it's a hassle. So to not do that, to avoid that problem, they created a you, rotary controller on the center console. But it's not Yeah, you get whisked you get whisked back to like uh, the two thousands era and you've got like a an iPod scroll wheel on the dash, right? Not, on not, the not, console. not really though. It's more like a kind of a domed thing, like a reverse dome and you can click left right up down and then the center click selects things and i guess you can rotary stuff too but that's where i kind of ran into problems i never really knew exactly what combination of button pushes i was supposed to use on a given screen like it's not clear and it can lead you to different sub menus and stuff and and using the home button that's above it and the menu button and the back button only one of those does what you think it would do. <laughs> so, like, the back button will bring you back to where you were before. The menu button actually brings up sub-menus that are re- related to the screen you're currently on. It doesn't bring you to the main menu. The home button brings you to, I guess, what they call the home screen, which is just kind of like a, a blank image mm-hmm. with some a little bit of information about the vehicle on it but that's it but like like the time and da- time and date or yeah it's not useful yeah. it's not like if i push home i expect to be taken to a menu screen it, or a screen that has like the the most commonly used functions you know like you would typically see infotainment and com- uh, climate control and nav like those those things kind of in whatever order but this that doesn't exist with this vehicle and it was a little bit frustrating to try and figure out how they wanted me to use their system. And I know that maybe if I spent weeks using it, I'd get more comfortable. And that's a problem when you only have one week with the vehicle like we do. But it's still not the smoothest system I've ever used. Um, the scroll wheel to me was really useful when dra- trying to scroll through menus or anything like that, like long lists, like uh, playlists or uh, Sirius XM channels. And that was it. Every other element, it seemed like a, it was a waste of time and space i really don't like the plate the the usability of that scroll wheel i don't like that it's set in the um console like that and it makes it difficult to use kind of like two fingers to to you know accurately rotate the 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 selection or move the selection yeah around. exactly like it, it should stick up instead of be be a depression i mean it's just mm-hmm. easier all around and and if you look at the drive mode selector it does stick up so it's not like they can't do it they have the technology uh, the, the other weird thing I had happen with the infotainment system was the nav, um, it placed the vehicle 110 miles to the east of where I actually was. Like it, consistently? Like yes. Everywhere? Every time I turned on the vehicle, even after I reset to factory specifications, the navigation did not know where the truck was. And what's even weirder is the town it put me in is adjacent to my hometown. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I knew all the street names something. and stuff. 
it, and it was just really random, and I don't understand it. Um, I mentioned it to the fleet manager when I dropped off, but I haven't heard back. I know the vehicle was going to the dealership to get an alignment, so mm-hmm. I, I assume they'll take a look at it there. But I have not had that happen on a modern navigation system, I think, ever. <laughs> so it was definitely strange. Uh, there's a few other gimmicks. You mentioned one uh, when I picked up the vehicle. You're like, oh, you got to try out this 3D gauges, right, in the gauge cluster? Yeah, I because it's something when I noticed um, they made a really big deal about it. They called it like an industry first. And I said that it was really a gimmick. It uh, doesn't really change the usability experience at all. Um, how did you feel? I, I didn't see it. Like I had it on and I didn't realize it was on. And then after you talked to me about it, I went into the menu system to get it and turn it on. And I saw it was already activated. So I, I think it's because like, I, have like a, I had surgery when I was a kid um, on my eye because I had a lazy eye. And as a result, I can't see stuff like Magic Eye or like 3D things very well. So I'm wondering if it's just because I have a defective body and I can't – the Genesis is, has not taken into account my particular uh, visibility issues. Uh, but um, – Ouch. It, it's, Way to go, Genesis. I mean – Way the, to make a car for everybody. The gauges work fine. I don't think yeah, I Yeah, I mean it's them. a nice big digital display. It, it didn't need that, right? I mean, if you think about it, like an analog display is a 3D display because that needle sits on top of a, a gauge face. So I don't understand yeah. like the real bonus of whatever it is we're supposed to be looking at. Um, well, I mean, one of the interesting things is that um, that 3D display uses a pair of like infrared sensors or infrared cameras to detect your eyes and can, can tell as well when you're not paying attention to the road or if you're if you're distracted or tired or something like that. So apparently that's a part of the solution there. But you told me that that might not have panned out the way they, they thought it would, right? I mean, I don't know. I use the I use the adaptive cruise control and the limited self-steering a few times. And there were times where it would let me take my hands off the wheel for a very extended period. And there were other times where I would get maybe a few seconds and it would tell me I had to touch the wheel. So I couldn't really tell how it was determining what was safe and what wasn't. I generally don't take my hands off the wheel when I'm driving anyway, so it's not really an issue. Uh, there was a little bit of ping-ponging. Uh, I, I noticed that the wheel moved more than – not as much as the, the RX did the week before. Okay. But it did it did move a little bit more than I would have expected when I was in a, a regular just a driving straight. Like uncomfortably? Like it moved too much? No, or... just, just noticeably. Okay. Um, again, not I, a huge issue. I drove a car I think last year. It was the Ford Escape. And even on a straight highway and – it, it no matter what, if even if it was going straight, it was in the li- between the lines. The wheel would shift left and right as if it was like, you know, you're you're watching a movie with somebody driving, um, and yeah, they're yeah. not going anywhere, and they're just moving the wheel like that. Yeah, that's what it that's what it felt like in my hands the whole time. And it was really, it was like di- almost distracting. I had to turn off the feature because I'm like, okay, you're you're. It's like uncomfortable. The car is the RX shifting the wheel left and right like that. The Lexus RX was like that. Exactly I don't like it. No, it's 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 dis, it's discomforting. That's for sure. It, it doesn't add to the engage. Like when you put when you put on those adaptive cruise control and lane keeping, you want the car to feel confident in what it's doing, not like not like that. I don't know. That didn't feel like that. Um, as for the how how it drives when you you know you're actually driving it, it I, I didn't find the GV80 to be sporty, really, which is good. Uh, I don't need that from a vehicle. Mine had the 3.5 liter twin turbo V6. So it's 375 horsepower and 391 pound-feet of torque. That's going to put you, yeah, that puts you above the six cylinder engines that you'll find from the Germans, like BMW, Mercedes, et cetera, Audi from that, in that segment, but well below the V8s that are also available that Genesis doesn't have. So mm-hmm. uh, there, you can get this V6 or you can get a, a, a turbocharged four cylinder. Um, it, it's fairly quick. It's like zero to 60 and I think 5.6 seconds, something like that. You don't really need more than that. The thing that I liked most about driving it was how comfortable and calm it felt. It's a very, it's, it's, it's a confident vehicle to drive. Uh, the handling is, it doesn't feel awkward despite being so large, but you're relatively well insulated from the world outside of the SUV. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking for. And when I say insulated, I don't mean like to the extent where like last week, again, going back to the RX, where you're Mm -hmm. super isolated and you're just kind of floating around. This is an it's a nice balance between being connected with the road and being uh, not having to be connected with potholes and stuff like that. So I was pleased with the power. Uh, I didn't really have there were a couple of times where when I was slowing down to a stop, 
the it's an eight-speed automatic transmission, and I could feel the shifts when it would go down into first gear or second gear a couple of times. Maybe that's it. Does that like little shift shock when it hits that first or second gear? Yeah, you would not notice that in a German vehicle. That's I think Mm. the biggest difference in in the drivetrains. It's also not going to pin you back when you accelerate quickly. So if you want that, you're really going to have to go for like one of those twin turbo V8s. But the the upside is you don't have the fuel mileage of a twin turbo V8, and you don't have to pay the same amount of money. I mean, the top tier version of the Genesis is only like $7,000 more than the least expensive X5. <laughs> yeah, that ha- and, and when, although I did say, you know, these are expensive cars, and I, I still stand by that, that's not that much to pay for a luxury car. No, no. So uh, all around, I think this is an excellent effort. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a way of thinking about luxury that doesn't just rely on the badge, but they actually had to think really, really hard about what customers would want and what customers would pay for and then build it and price it accordingly and still recognizing that they're a challenger brand and that they're going to have to work hard to get people in their showrooms. And I think the GV80 is a real success. I don't see why people won't flock to this vehicle. I mean, people are already super into the Hyundai Palisade and the Kia Telluride, which are similarly sized SUVs from the from the mothership. And mm. the GV80 is so much better than those from a luxury perspective that it really feels like a home run to me. I, I was very impressed with this vehicle. Um, then I'm going to continue this conversation because I was given a, a very exclusive opportunity to take a look at a close look at the GV70, which is their next SUV and one that will really reach a wider audience. I think when it comes to the luxury crossover segment, uh, vehicles like the Mercedes GLC, the BMW X3, the Lexus NX, these are everywhere. Like truly people go nuts for these kinds of cars. And now Genesis will be offering something, I think in the second half of this year, to compete with those. And so I took a look at this and I have some interesting observations. I haven't driven it, I haven't fired it up, uh, and I haven't really played around with any of the gadgets, but just from from you know walking in and out of it, I think there's uh, some pretty interesting things to point out here. Are you ready for that? I'm ready. Questions, actually? No, hit me lightning round. Let's do this. Okay. First of all, the complaint that you had that I had about the the uh, infotainment controller and you seconded, which with which was about the infotainment controller being recessed into the into the console. That's been fixed already. Is that because it, people who buy raised. smaller SUVs have smaller hands? Like, what's the? Why would they? Why would they lead with one thing and then? Do you think it's based on feedback they've had in it's, limited yeah, sales? I believe right? it's based on feedback um, already. So the the GV80 and the G80, which used that system that we talked about earlier, um, that that feedback came out last year, approximately a year, a year ago, and Genesis is already that quick to make the the change here. So now it's lifted up. It feels a little bit more like an iDrive sort of thing. And uh, I think that's an improvement. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then in terms of design, I don't think it has the same um, slashes in the side of the the vehicle, the way that you described it. But it does continue that same um, design on the front. The front, like the front half of the vehicle looks very similar to the GV80, in my opinion. And then the second half, um, the the rear half looks really um, a little bit more unique. There are some – We t- I took a look at one of the more sport-focused models of the lineup, and, um, you know, if I looked at this from a distance, there would be a, probably uh, a chance where I would mistake it for the Alfa Romeo uh, Stelvio, which I don't think is a bad – it's not a bad comparison. Is it the I, same probably, size as the Stelvio, or is it a little bit yeah, smaller? Yeah, it would be – it looks about the same size as the Stelvio. Okay. Okay. Uh, and including there's like ma- big old cylindrical exhaust exits that are like connected to the bodywork and it looks really cool. Um, again, very, very alpha, very like finished. Those details look really cool. Um, and then if you get like one of the, the lesser, the lower trimmed or less sport oriented trims, it's like this vertical stack um, um, looking exhaust exit. So it's kind of it's kind of attractive there. There's a couple of things that really stood out to me as odd, actually, though. The hood, for example, the front of the vehicle, the hood comes over the nose of the vehicle. Is This is the weirdest thing I've ever tried to describe. It, like, sticks out over the nose of the vehicle. What are you trying to say? It's like a clamshell? Like a lip. It looks like a clamshell, yeah. Okay, so how does, does it open like a clamshell? Or no, is... it opens like a regular hood. It just goes up. 
Okay, so what's the advantage? Like, is this like a is this a kind of a, a thin line of metal that's going to get hit with stones and squirrels and stuff like that and, and get dented or squirrel? Well, I don't know. I I've never driven in Toronto. I don't know what it's like. Yeah, the wildlife is uh, always flinging itself. Yeah, um... <laughs> always always at the edge of its rope and ready to end it all. <laughs> um. So the 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 apparently the, it was a a decision. A design-focused decision, they wanted the car to feel kind of, like, sporty or look kind of sporty. I suppose if you were to, to give it, like, if you were to personify it, it kind of looks like a like a, like a a brow that's kind of, like, frowned over, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Okay. You're, yeah. You're really, really anthropomorphizing <laughs> this particular aspect of the car. Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll move on beyond that because another interesting thing, you pointed out the color – of the of the GV80, and you said it's really cool that they have some colors. They're offering some unique colors like that green. The GV70 will be offered in the same blues and greens and reds as the GV80. They're going to also offer it in a burgundy, which is interesting. And then they're going to, for the first time ever as as a brand, well, the brand is kind of new actually. For five, <laughs> it's five years old, so I guess like we shouldn't be so excited. But they're also going to offer matte colorings. For the for the GV70, a green, a white, a gray, and a burgundy as well. I mean, I guess that makes sense because they're probably going for the youth market with this model, right? I'm assuming it's priced at least ten thousand dollars less than the GV80. Yeah, I have no idea on the pricing, but I guess that would, I mean that would make sense. And if that's as you mentioned, ten thousand dollars below what the GV80 would would be is a very attractive price point. Right? I would think they have to be there, right? Because if, if you're at like forty seven thousand starting at forty seven forty eight starting for the GV80. You can't sell a $45,000 starting price on a GV70. We'll see, because the GV70 will feature the same powertrains as the GV80, which is the 2.5 four-cylinder and the 3.5 six-cylinder. And I think that will be an interesting... There might be some overlap. There well, might how, be some overlap. how much of a size difference is there, really? I mean, this doesn't have a third row at all. Like, no, I know, but I mean, that doesn't mean so much. I, I just mean, like, is it like a foot shorter? Is it does it feel smaller inside? Like, yeah. What was yeah. your impression? I mean, it feels like a comp- it, it, to me, it feels like it fits right in the heart of that GLC segment. And I and I and I think about the GLC because I think it's one of the most popular products in that class. Okay. The GLC and the X3. I think the X3 can sometimes feel a little bit bigger, but the GLC is usually that right size. Um, that I think that the the segment is going for. Now, you, you know, um, you mentioned you were just going to have the same drivetrains as the um, larger vehicle, and that mm-hmm. makes sense because Genesis doesn't have a lot of engines. So mm-hmm. you know, of course, they're going to use what they have. Do you know if they're going to be tuned to have the same output? I don't know. I can imagine. I'll, I'll imagine. So I would say so. That okay. Doesn't make a lot of. It doesn't seem that they would detune it. And I think in the or or maybe they would upgrade it. Who knows? Maybe they see that people are not going to be towing as much as. Um, they would in the GV80, and that would make the GV70s. That would change the the way the GV70 performs. Okay, yeah, maybe. sure. Um, inside the vehicle, they showed it. They showed me this sport trim model. It had a bunch of carbon fiber accents all over the cabin. Um, they assured me that it was real carbon fiber. I don't know what that means exactly. Sometimes uh, because that sounds like it would be very expensive. But there are also some other um, trims, including a aluminum like mesh trim. And some like uh, really interesting layered, like glass layered trim that would, that could, the ambient lighting of the vehicle would project through some of this this trim and look really like mesmerizing and, and eye catching. And I think Do you really discussed- want like a mesmerizing interior when you're dr- like late at night. You know, like I mentioned earlier, my my cherry syrup. What happens yeah. to me? I don't. If you threw a mesmerizing dashboard at me under those conditions. I can't guarantee your, your safety, Sammy. I mean, it's not. It has been done before. You and I have both been in BMWs with that Swarovski crystal like shifter uh, that yeah. like catches the light at the right at the right angle. And or if you're in a convertible, like, yeah, it catches the light and like you can't see anything else. But um, even <laughs> Kia does this in a number of their products with the, the the speakers that light up and pulse and the pulsing dashboard that we talked about a right. couple months ago. So right. yeah, it's it's not unique. No. No, but I do think it's it's cool. They're neat details, I think. And that, as I mentioned, when you're when you are aiming for the luxury market, and especially look, Genesis has no well, they have some limited previous customers, but they're going to be trying to fish people over from other luxury brands, and you need to do that with stuff that that you can't skimp on any of the any detail, any item here, right? I can't wait until a car company tries like a transparent carbon fiber seat. 
of some kind. You know, like, so you can see just, like, how filthy things get under the seat of your... Have you ever been in a car and taken the seat out of a car? Like, taken the Uh, bolts out and removed the seat? You will be shocked at the... But, I mean, I I lose things all the time under the seat, so... It's it's the archaeology of your life lives under the seat of your... The driver's seat of your car, and... There's just so like I've found really weird stuff in cars in the past, uh, yeah. and and I can't imagine if you could see that stuff, and then you'd have to be like, oh, it's so hard to take the seat out. Do I really want to disconnect all all the you know the electrical connections and the bolts and whatever to get this out? But that that piece of pepperoni, this it, it just I know it's right there under my butt, and I need to get rid of it. It's it's disconcerting, Sammy. So you've seen a you've seen a piece of pepperoni. Have you seen a pop tart or anything like that? I. Would I respect Pop Tarts too much to ever let them go uneaten? Okay, uh, but imagine if you could put light in these seats. Yeah, that's that's, cool. that's next level. This is a free idea to, to any car company who's listening to this. Transparent carbon fiber illuminated seats. No, they should be like those. Uh, you, you know, like uh, that Venza. I think the Venza did it, where you can press a button and it and it like goes from transparent to opaque. You can just press a button to look through your seat and and see whatever you're looking for. Mm, no, I want it to be illuminated. I don't. I don't need it to be opaque at any time. I mean, unless it's liquid filled, and you could use it like a fish tank, and then you love away. I don't want to look at the fish all the time because it, I know it's cruel. Their life. It's not. It's not a good life for a fish. No, I mean, after one winter, that poor fish. No, no, no. They're heated. Uh, Obviously. <laughs> Okay, yeah, totally. They couldn't not be heated, Sam, because they would crack. And yeah. You would have, have you ever left a can of soda in the center console overnight in the winter? I mean, this would be no, your No, I've left it under my seats, though. Really? No, of course not. <laughs> Things have got, So I have a funny story about that. So um, many, many years ago when I was a rave promoter, my partner at the time, uh, my, my promoting partner, he had a, a Pontiac Grand Am. And we were throwing a party and we ran out of water. So we went to, I took his car and I went to get, I walked into a grocery store at two or three in the morning and it was, it was a smaller one because it was open 24 hours. And there weren't a lot of those at that time in Montreal. And I asked them, I'm like, could you show me where your water is? And he, we were at the front of the store and he pointed to these pallets they had stacked up and I said, I'll take it. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? I was like, all of it now. I'll take all of your water. So yeah. I bought I bought them out of all their water. We loaded it into the trunk and the rear seat of this Grand Am. And uh, we took it back to the party, but we only unloaded the rear seat. We didn't end up needing what was in the trunk. So yeah. it was really overloading the car. And it was like bumper touching the ground overloading. Oh, my God. So I left before he did. And he was driving home and he got pulled over by the cops. And I think he didn't have a license or something. So they they impounded the car. <laughs> and he never went and got it. So it was it was just before winter. So whatever I, – I, I hesitate to think what happened in that impound yard when like two weeks later it went freezing and the conservatively 40 gallons of water that were in the trunk of that Grand Am just exploded out of their plastic prisons. So no one bought that car at auction is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly Something it. bad happened to that car after something bad happened to that car. <laughs> um, okay, that's uh... – I have no connecting piece of fabric to go. Actually, yes, I do. I you do have. You have something. a Grand Am story? No, I don't. Oh. The, uh, going back to the GV70, it has. Uh, so you know, you've probably seen these vehicles that have rear seat um, detection or occupant detection or warnings or something like that. Yeah, but they you tell should... you that you've left something in the back seat based on the sequence of you opening and closing doors or sometimes using like airbag sensors, right? Yeah, I think it's usually doors, but yeah, it is usually doors. The Genesis actually uses radar oh to my. detect its... <laughs> Wait a minute, what? Yeah. It uses radar technology to detect the occupants in the back, uh, including... Uh, and can detect the most minute movements. They've specifically said that if you've left a kid sleeping in the back seat, that the radar will definitely check that. Um, and that sounds I don't like know, a threat. War- <laughs> that sounds like a threat to me. Hey, we know if you're sleeping. Genesis G70. <laughs> I mean, exactly. This is, uh, and this we'll is remind a... the, the driver if they've left someone in the back seat. How does it remind them? Um, I'm assuming with a blaring alarm to wake up the child and make it make it start crying too. This is this is absurd. I mean, 
What? You always wanted radars in cars. So, so how often does this radar scan the rear seat? And <laughs> how many know. times? Check how many times can it scan my child before my child develops some type of mutation? <laughs> I guess is where I'm going with this. Yeah. Um. I'm sure they've done some testing on... Why are you sure? Why is it... You think that that was the number one priority? They were like, you know what? This seems dangerous. Let's test it extensively instead of just counting no, no, the I number of times. I think they checked it. They made sure it worked maybe three or four times. Here's what happened. Like, okay, we're an go. Go, intern, go to market with it. An intern went on to Google and was like, what happens? <laughs> what, can I be scanned by radar? Is it safe? And then... Didn't look at the result and told them he did or she did. That's that's yeah. what happened here. Well, I don't know. The, the cops are always shooting radars at me this when is, I'm driving around. What I'm coming to realize, Sammy, is that the reason you're so into this technology is it's one step past the robot in the Subaru Forester that you've already bonded with. Right. You know, the visual robot that always has a camera trained on you. This is the next level. It's like you don't you could be a skeleton in the back seat, and this radar would find you. Is what I'm saying. You don't even have to be recognizably human. Right. Um, yeah, maybe. But there is another feature of the car that I think connects with me better than the radar. Um, there is a fingerprint reader in the vehicle. Why? Wait, why? <laughs> because, because, I don't know, I guess so many people forget to take their car, their keys with them. This, no, it's not. That's not real. <laughs> this, what there does is it do? Finger, there is a fingerprint reader in the car. No, I believe if you. If the vehicle is is connected to that uh, Genesis telematic system, you use the, the fingerprint to sort of uh, verify that it's you, and then the car will turn up. Additionally, oh. <laughs> the vehicle will um, <clears throat> will also change, will match your profile, like, so your media settings. And I hope that your seat and your mirror settings to your fingerprint. You right? can That's already do that with a button. You don't need yes, a, you don't need don't a, want to press a button. You, you don't need a radar fingerprint feature. No, everyone has a button. I was in a I was in a Mitsubishi. I think that has a button. I want a fingerprint. That's what it should be, right? Or at least the face scanning feature like the Subarus. This this seems like completely unnecessary. I like Genesis as a brand. This yeah. is over the top. This is like this is verging on BMW holographic gesture control style of gadgets that nobody needs. Well, that's where we're at, man. You, why are you fighting against this? I can't wait until there's like a, a roof mounted or a ceiling mounted laser to heat up your coffee or something. Like it just points straight down and it's like. Don't worry, your skin can withstand a half second of exposure to the laser before something bad happens. <laughs> We've tested it twice. We, we, uh, we, we had the intern test it. Well, I mean, it's not... Look, we've seen a minivan with, like, a camera, like, a security camera system inside of it that you can check on your kids while you're driving. We've seen these these PA systems for the front and rear passengers. You know, they're, they're loading... People are loading cars with this technology. You have to agree with me that a radar, in-car radar, is, like, something well beyond an intercom. Like, this is not... <laughs> There, there's no connective I mean, tissue between these technologies. No, not those two technologies. What if you have but... a pacemaker when you're in the back seat? Like, did they even think about this kind of stuff? Yeah, maybe we can talk about. Maybe we should bring them on the podcast and ask them to justify all yeah, of. Yeah, I don't know, art. man. I feel like <sighs> Sammy, I, I'm scared. That's what it boils down to. I mean, radar Look, in the get back. Your, get your radar um, appreciation technology out. I'm also you have one of those. It's how, just basically a paper, a paper bag that you breathe in and out, in and out I, of. I know that radar for adaptive cruise control already sets off a lot of radar detectors. Mm -hmm. So now I'm wondering if rear seat radar is going to have the same kind of spillover effect. And you're going to pass someone and they're going to slam their brakes on. Um, additionally, the car has uh, the same 3D gauge cluster that we already just uh, joked about and, and called gimmicky. So... That hasn't gone Ooh. away yet. So as much as they heard the feedback about us saying that the infotainment controller uh, needed to be fixed, they did. They ignored the feedback about the 3D gauge cluster being a gimmick. Well, I mean, I, I'm not even thinking about the 3D gauge cluster anymore. My mind is totally blown by what we've just discussed. So anyways, I did take a look at this car. I think it's, it's, um, it's full of neat new ideas. I think it is going to make an impression on this segment. Um, I think for the bright reason, for the right reasons, you have to have these kind of features to stand out because every car has the same features out there. And these little bullet points, whether or not they're useful or not, 
more often than not, um, helps you with the with the very you know people spending a lot of money. But you know why all these cars have the same features? It's because you need them to drive your car. That's I don't need a. I don't need three D. What is it exactly? That's gesture control. No, my point. I don't need the Hey Mercedes and or the Hey BMW. Yes, I know, but I'm talking about you specifically referred to cars having the same features. So I'm talking about right. the reason they have the same features is because you need those features when you're driving. And anything else is extraneous and weird and strange and honestly, at this point, a little scary. Yeah. Well, we're welcome to uh, welcome to 2021. I this certainly don't feel welcome. <laughs> well, when the radar welcomes you into the cabin, that will be... Can you use the radar to heat up the rear seat too before you get in? I hope so. What if I have a cup of soup? In the back seat. Yeah. Well, I mean, not me, but whatever, assuming I interact with other humans and they're in the back seat. What if one of them has a cup of soup? And you're worried that the radar will misinterpret the cup of soup no, as I'm a asking, person can I remind up, you about the Can I about heat the up person? the soup with the radar is what I'm asking. Look, all I know is the radar connects to the car in, in a detection format where it, where it tells you who is back there and what they're doing. Can I mean, it, whether or not they're, they're in there or not. Can I defrost my rear window with the radar? And if so, can I also defrost the windshield of the car behind me with the radar? I don't know, man. I, I don't even think it can detect the windshield. Do it's I even detection? Do I even know how radar works? I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm worried about that now. So, Ben, there's another thing that you wanted to talk about on this week's podcast. A a a, a, a book? Is it? Sorry, I'm just making sure my notes are correct. Here. Yeah, well, we had some news we wanted to talk about. But before we do that, we can talk about this book that I read recently. Yeah. It's it's from uh, Vlache in in the UK, and it's called Made in America Dodge Viper. The full oh, story. Yeah. The full story of the world's first V10 supercar, Sammy, or sorry, V10 sports car. Um, it is written by David Zatz. Uh, it is a book that is comprehensive about the Viper. It's not super big. I know we've talked about some books in the past on the show that kind of were single mark specific. I think we recently did an S2000 book that was really, really in depth. The Viper book is similar to that. It's not quite the same format as the S2000 book. It has roughly 130 pages. Uh, there's, there's some oh, stuff. It's not as hefty as, like... No, but I mean, there ha- there aren't nearly as many Vipers in the world as there are S2000s. Like, this very... Vipers of... People don't realize this because they see Corvettes everywhere, and they feel like Dodge is just the Corvette from, from Dodge, right? Like, oh, it's just Dodge's version of that, their, their sports car. But I think, like, Dodge Viper production is something like a tenth of uh, the same year's Corvette production. It's very, very, very low. So... There also weren't all that many uh, generations of of Viper. And that's something that kind of... There's things about this book that I like a lot. There's things about this book that I found strange. Um, The beginning of the book is devoted mostly to the ideas that created the Viper and got it into production. Which is a Shelby thing, isn't it? No, it was was, uh, an initiative by three people. Uh, Bob Lutz is one of them. Um... Uh, let me get the, the other name here because I always... I thought, it was a, I thought Shelby was related in some no, way. No, Shelby was brought in as a third party who gave a, a little bit of advice about the car, but he's never officially involved in the development. Yeah, and, he's probably the guy who told it to put as big of an engine as you could possibly imagine in the front of the no, vehicle. actually, like, he was against it. What? Uh, Shelby did not like the idea of a V10. He thought it was too heavy, and at that point in his life, the weight was uh, more important than the horsepower. Uh, if the if you look back, this is the person who's <laughs> this is the person who, who thought up the concept of the Cobra. Yeah, but the original Cobra didn't have a big block the, or, or a large VA. The original Cobra uh, was a 289 powered car. The later 427 cars were not really Shelby's thing. He didn't like okay. how they upset the balance of them. So, All right. but. Well, I'm, uh, I'm- I'm on your. I'm on board now. The person who is probably most responsible for the for the Viper's development would be Tom Gale, um, who was the head of design at Chrysler at the time. Uh, but Francois Castaing was uh, someone who come from Renault's racing program, and him and Gale really were the drivers at getting the Viper into production. But the reason I'm bringing up all this up is because the book talks about the beginning of the book is very repetitive. He, the writer talks about various versions of the Viper Genesis story because everyone has their own version. But he keeps mentioning how everyone has their own version like over and over. And some of the stuff starts to overlap and I was not feeling it. Like I was reading the book and I'm like, really, this he, the, this guy needs to get out of his own way and kind of just d- commit to one version of the story. Uh, but once you get out of the early production and early development, the details about the car... Uh, when it's in production, 
the details about the generational changes that were made to the car, the reasoning behind some aspects of the vehicle's development. It's all very interesting. So I, I feel like on the whole, if you're a Viper fan, this is a good book. Um, it is now there's a lot of there's yeah. a lot of names in here of people that you might not be familiar with who had a real hand in how the car came to be as it is now. And why the car ended up looking and being built with that giant clamshell on the front and with a V10 and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. There's a couple of things that I want to talk about. First of all, the Viper to me is the supercar that I grew up with as a – like no, I didn't have one. But that was the one that I had on, on my wall. That's, that was during my era uh, of car enthusiasm of growing up. That was the car that I fell in love with. There's nothing that feels like right to me other than that, that blue Viper with white stripes. Um, and I, I loved it all the way up until the one that even the latest generation one, I think it's a badass car. Um, there's a whole lot of, I'm not sure if it's misinformation or tall tales about, um, about the development of the, of the vehicle in terms of like whether or not Lamborghini got involved or other, you know, weird stories here and there. Well, Lamborghini was uh, wholly owned by Chrysler in that era and the engine for the Viper was an LA Series V8 that had mm-hmm. been given a couple... They, they they basically sort of extended an LA Series V8, gave it a couple extra cylinders, did some... Exper- did, created a, a fa- fabricated a, a crankshaft for it, and um, they sent it to Lamborghini to get some input on how to create an aluminum block and some other tuning stuff. They uh, had hoped that Lamborghini would also be able to provide an ECU that could control it, but they couldn't. It ended up being way too expensive if they'd gone the Lamborghini route. So they they cobbled one together. The first couple of years of Viper production, the ECU was like a uh, something like a, a six-cylinder and a four-cylinder that had been cobbled together. And then they finally, when they brought the truck out in 94... My God. <laughs> yeah, they had an ECU that was just for the V10. Uh, and th- that's which tr- sorry, which truck? The SRT? No, the V10 uh, Dodge Ram, oh, which Ram. had an iron yeah. block version of uh, a motor that was similar to the Vipers. They're very, very different, but the blocks right. were similar. One was steel, so one was was. This whole little. story is is detailed in this book. Yeah, parts of that are in there. Cool, yeah. very uh, cool. What about the the Ram, the SRT Viper, whatever you want to call it? What is what it called? Mean? SRT10. No, there's a little bit of the truck stuff in here, but I'm not talking about that truck. I'm talking about the 90s truck. No, I understand. There was a heavy-duty truck, I think, Yeah, and then 10 years later is the truck you're talking about. Right. But uh, the the thing that that the other bone I have to pick with the writer is he talks about the first-generation Viper as in going from 92 all the way to 2002. And uh, in reality, the Gen 1 Viper ended in 95. And in 96, when they came out with the, the Coupe, um, the coupe was 90% different from the RT10, the Roadster. And that seems crazy when you look at them side by side because they look very similar. But 90% is a huge number of parts that were changed. The, the, the chassis was changed too. And then mm-hmm. the, the following year, I believe, the RT10 also got the new platform. Uh, and it was it was a radically different car. The motor was different uh, in, in terms of tuning, power, etc. But, you know, a, a lot of stuff had been changed. He lumps that all in as Gen 1. But honestly, that's the second generation of Viper started in 96. And yeah. that's an odd oversight for a book that's comprehensive about the Viper. So I, I thought that was a little strange. No, I, I hear you on that. That second generation one seems so dramatically different. I think it uses the same engine or something like, or a similar engine, just different. Tuning, uh, it's, right? it's, no, there's, they, they changed a bunch of stuff. They, they took actually, I think, 60 pounds out of the engine bay f- remo- by remove by redoing the cooling system alone. So there's a lot Perfect. of stuff that they they learned from the early car and the generation another reason why this is important as a detail. The generation 1 Viper is something that you kind of want to avoid especially the first 2 years of the car because they made so many running changes while they were it was a very low volume vehicle so they were improving it constantly while they were selling it. And mm-hmm. as a result, it's very, very hard to find parts for early Vipers uh, because of the changes and just because, you know, Dodge stopped making them quite a long time ago, especially body stuff. So um, they're they're inexpensive to buy. You can probably get a RT10 from 93 or 94 for maybe $25,000, but it's not easy to maintain. They're not easy to own. You, you really want a Generation 2 car or, or newer if you mm-hmm. want something that's going to not be a headache in terms of maintenance. I want to ask a little bit more about the details of this book. Does it talk about the racing at all? The racing yeah, heritage of the Viper? There's a section on racing. It's not super developed, but it is in there. Hmm. I thought racing was a pretty decent part of the Viper sort of story. No, it is. It's it's a huge part of it. 
Mm. I agree with you. But this book isn't really focused on motorsports. I mean, the, it's, it's 10 pages of the book. Okay. So. And it doesn't talk about the TV show? I don't know. I didn't. I did not encounter anything about the TV show, and okay. I read the first gen section pretty uh, extensively. So that is cool. kind of funny. But it's a lot of stuff in here for like if you're an obsessive owner about production numbers and stuff. Things like that are hard to find. So, mm-hmm. given that some of the things in here I find are maybe not factually correct, I'm not sure how much of the number stuff I would buy into. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's maybe I'm familiar with the Viper story. Fair, fairly, I have a fairly decent familiarity with it. So it was odd to see it presented in a way that maybe isn't quite accurate, but most of the book is going to be helpful. So again, okay, cool. that's it's it's called Made in America Dodge Viper, and it's by David Zatz, and you can pick that up from Veloce Publishing. Uh, Veloce.co.uk has uh, links to where you can buy it in, in North America, but um, I'll put up a link with the ISBN and everything in the show notes if you want to check it out. Very cool. Um, so I think that's it for this week's episode. I think we should let our listeners know where they can find uh, more information about the book and uh, and more information about the podcast. It's the, honestly the easiest way to do it is to head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And while you're there, you'll see a whole bunch of previous episodes. You can click through those. You can see photos of the cars that we've been uh, talking about and driving. You can see links to the stories that we publish about these kinds of um, about these cars. And you can also get in touch with us really easily. There's a contact form there. You fill that out. It lands in our inbox. And, you know, we read every piece of, uh, of fan mail we get or a criticism or, or agreement, whatever you have to say. Uh, so if you're like me, you're a Viper fan, you should really use that contact form uh, and reach out. And uh, you could also reach out in, on social media. Sammy, did you mention that? No, I didn't. You want to? You can, it? yeah, sure. You can find us on uh, social media. You can get Sammy on the cesspool that is Twitter. He is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Uh, and I am on the much friendlier social media site of Instagram at Hunting Benjamin. Um, we also encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. You can do that through our website or whatever your podcast uh, client is just look for unnamed automotive podcast hit that subscribe button and every time a new episode comes out and sometimes we you know we 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 stray off schedule we we throw out a bonus episode here every once in a while you will get that immediately it's amazing i love subscriptions it's so cool uh and uh sammy what are you going to be driving next week um you know what i'm going to be driving the new um nissan kicks but I think more importantly, I'm going to also be driving the new Mitsubishi Outlander. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to be an interesting episode. What about I, you? What do you I, got? I'm going to be driving the Lexus IS. Very cool. I can't wait to talk to you about that. So I will hear from you next week. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Take care.